If you win, I'll close the arcade down. But if I win, you leave the arcade the hell alone. It's high stakes where the kids have to save the arcade or suffer a life of hanging out at the Galleria and 7-Eleven. We're still up all night, and this episode, we watched Joysticks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Miranda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night, the podcast that celebrates the films of USA's Up All Night series. I'm Travis. I'm Rob. And we're just two guys that were raised on USA Up All Night, hoping to keep it in the modern pop culture stream of consciousness. Rob, this is the first episode, and therefore the first USA Up All Night movie that you've probably watched in a while. Did watching this movie take you back to your childhood? 100%. It, uh, yeah, I was flooded with memories of that time period in my life. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time overall. So we should offer up a bit of a prologue here on... USA Up All Night. The show launched on January 7th, 1989 with comic Gilbert Gottfried as its original host. And it ran from 11 p.m. Eastern to 5 a.m., airing two movies and then re-airing the first movie in the last two hours. Uh, Rob, when you think USA Up All Night, what's the type of movies that come to mind? Frankly, bad movies with a lot of nudity. Yeah, B-movies specifically sexploitation films. Um, that's the staple of USA Up All Night. Now, granted, there were deviations, horror films, action films, but the bread and butter, the teen sex comedy. You know, the very first film was Cheerleaders Beach Party. So that tells you the direction of the show. So Gottfried would have skits in studio or on location during the first two films. And the response to the series was so great that USA added a Friday night edition in mid-1989, adding host Caroline Schlitt. Rob, do you remember Caroline Schlitt as host? Uh, in preparation, I looked up photos of her, and I, I maybe I do. Uh, nothing really stands out. It was Gilbert and Rhonda for me. That That's where my memories are. And, and even then, mostly it's Rhonda. Um, yeah, I have few memories of Gilbert, uh, you know, bringing the movies in. You were more busy on Saturday nights, apparently, than, than you were on Friday nights. Yeah, I only have memories of Rhonda on those Friday nights, too. I really don't remember Caroline Schlitt. I don't even think we had cable. I don't think we had cable at that time. That must be why. So I hadn't mm. discovered the, the franchise yet. Um, when they added a Friday edition, they also changed up the format a bit, adding a third movie in that 3 a.m. hour instead of repeating the first film, only without the skits from Gottfried or Schlitt. Now, I remember this vividly, Rob. I would almost feel lonely when the first two films were over and that third film would air, but with no no skits. Uh, do you remember this the third movie format, and did you feel the same way I did? I don't. I don't think I often made it that late. Um in most instances, but I remember, do have recollections of stumbling across it on random occasions and being like, well, where, where's the host? Where are the skits? That's, that's part of why I'm here. Right. And, you know, you invest four hours in it and you feel like they're right there 
with you in the wee hours of the night. So when that three o'clock movie would come on, I would be like, oh, there's no more host. It's now it's just a movie. I guess and it's bedtime. It, no, I would try to. Yeah, I would <laughs> doze off a lot during those the, the last movie. So Schlitt would only last a year and a half. And then January of 1991, enter Rhonda Shear. She was the female version of Godfrey, just over the top, in your face, and a gorgeous blonde bombshell, but also funny as all get out. I mean, I know I was in love with Rhonda. Uh, Rob, what was your take on Rhonda as host? She, to me, was like uh, Elvira. You know, she she sort of fit that slot, but took the comedic side as opposed to the horror side that Elvira took. But there were, you know, definite similarities between them physically. Uh, and yeah, I, I she was a big reason why I tuned in. Yeah, that's why Friday night sticks with you. And yeah. Not necessarily Saturday. So the series as we know it continued through the 1990s until 1998 when USA management went in a new direction, letting Shear and Gottfried go and shifting to mainstream films instead of the B films that we were so used to. They would continue to show familiar up-all-night imagery and music until 2002, but I mean, these four years, they don't count as the series as far as I'm concerned. It was, it was not, not anything in the spirit of the original show. But from 88 to 98, more than 900 episodes of USA Up All Night were produced, which is why we're here today. I mean, this is such an, an influential program for so many Gen Xers, you and I included. So that takes us to our first film, Rob, the 1983 sex comedy Joysticks. So let me ask you this first. Do you have any recollection or memory of Joysticks before we chose this film as the as the inaugural film? None whatsoever. I'd never heard of it. Even looking at imagery for it, it rang no bells in my memory at all. It didn't for me as well, but it makes sense because um, it aired during the Caroline Schlitt era, so that I you know, hadn't it. yet been. Now, it would air in later dates as well, so I, I just somehow missed it or don't remember it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so this movie was directed by Graydon Clark, a notable 70s, 80s, and 90s B-movie director and producer. Uh, believe it or not, Rob, this film is very much rooted in reality. So the, the premise is a parent and local businessman attempts to shut down the local video arcade because he thinks the kids are spending too much time there and games are warping their minds. So Clark said that the idea first came to him at the premiere of his previous film, Wackos, and he saw a line of teenage boys lined up on one side of the theater and he went over to see what was going on and they were all playing these arcade games. And then later he read an article in the in the um, LA Times about parents' concern over kids spending too much time playing video games, a very emerging medium at the time. So there you go. Two main elements of joysticks, video arcade popularity and parents not wanting their kids to play the games. Still a, a topic that is prevalent today that, you know, that it seems every time you turn around, you know, now video games and home consoles are being blamed for all sorts of things in society, you know, ailments. But yeah, it goes as far back as then, but it was oh, yeah. going to the arcade as opposed to in your home. Yeah, such a difference, Yeah, for sure. So the movie was shot over a span of just 13 days. I mean, classic B-movie staple here, right? Quick and dirty, low budget. Uh, any idea what the budget was for this film? 300000 There it is. Somebody did their research. Yeah. Um, it was released in theaters on March 4th, 1983. It was the fifth highest grossing film in its first week with a gross of $1.4 million, and it grossed almost $4 million domestically in its entire theatrical run. So, I mean, a heck of a return here, and I'd garnered to say Graydon Clark's most successful film. 
Uh, I hadn't done the research on how much all of his films grossed. He's done so many. He also has a fantastic book um, called On the Cheap, My Life in Low-Budget Filmmaking. So it's a good read if you're interested in in 80s B cinema and 90s B cinema, 70s B. I mean, he ran the gamut. Um, I was surprised by both of those numbers, seeing that 300,000 and, you know, you look at the movie and I was like, where did that money go? Uh, but then to make almost $4 million, I was I was blown away by that. Yeah, talking about return on your investment yeah. for, for something made so quickly and so cheaply. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the successful theatrical release, it got a DVD release in 2006, a Blu-ray release in 2013 as a 30th anniversary edition, and the film's soundtrack was released in 2015, so 32 years after the theatrical release of the film. So, Rob, I mean, would you agree this is a cult classic? By those metrics alone, I think it has to be for, for there still to be a, a, like a desire to have the soundtrack. You know, is it, you wouldn't just go and do that. There has to be people voicing, I want that, you know, in my collection, so make it. And yeah. And taking, did, so, yeah. It, it, a Blu-ray release? Yeah. I mean. That, that shocks me. Okay, so that leads us to USA Up All Night. Joysticks originally aired on February 2nd, 1990, and the film's opening seconds is really the embodiment of the classic <laughs> USA Up All Night, right? I mean, a cute gal in skimpy clothing enjoying an arcade game way more than she should be. Uh, what did you, What was your take as this film opened up? Uh, I, the song is phenomenal. Like, <sighs> so cheesy, but yet, you know, just encapsulates the movie you know and incredibly suggestive you know all about you know joysticks and yeah i mean let I mean, your let your mind wander from there they're playing pole position yeah right, so yeah but and exactly you know she's into the game way more than anyone ever is uh and also yeah just how often did you go to an arcade and see anyone that looked like that never period never <laughs> But yet, here it is. And, you know, the whole opening montage is great, right? I mean, the, the, these movies succinctly capture life for kids in the 80s. Um, in addition to the uh, the very tight, revealing clothing that, you know, we see so much in these type of movies. But the games, that you know, there's a whole montage of video games in addition to Pole Position, which she was playing, that just really brings you back. Absolutely. And, and I was surprised throughout how many of the games I, I recognized and you know I just go back and wonder you know were they paying for the license for these like how did how did all that work because certainly Pac-Man is heavily featured throughout okay so we got to talk about Pac-Man for a minute because it is a feature of this of this movie first of all how awesome was the Pac-Man wipe I mean uh, how excited were you in that first <laughs> waka 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 and Pac-Man wipes across the screen D didn't expect that at all it immediately was again went back to how did they how did Atari or or I guess who the who made who so Midway Pac Games Midway that's yeah. what it was to allow them in this sor sort of movie to do that because I you know I think within two to three minutes of the movie nudity starts oh. You know, it's right away. Like, uh, three here and half, we are. Three and a half minutes. Yeah. Till the first boob is shown. So, did some research to find out how <laughs> how Clark pulled this off. 
and it's it's really awesome so uh, midway gave the approval for all the imagery of their games and including footage of the unreleased at the time super pac-man game which was featured at the climax of the film and i was unfamiliar with super pac-man i must have moved on to other games at that point so i didn't even realize at the time like did they did they custom make this because that's what it looked like for the movie but it it was it was just from an unreleased unreleased at that point so clark knew he had to have the rights to video games and pac-man was the hottest game so that's where he started and he went to midway he he made a call then he flew out or or went out he might have already been there and uh, met with uh, folks at the top of midway and he said he was just positive and honest about it he said i don't have the money i'm a low budget filmmaker so i can't pay you but i want to feature your game and they made him a deal because they had another game coming out called satan's hollow and they said, if you feature scenes from Satan Hollow in the game, you can have the rights to Pac-Man. And so... Yeah, I had to, to look that one up because they, they showed it. And I, I thought, is that a real game? I've never heard of that one. And sure enough, real deal. So this deal didn't really pay off for Midway, I guess, since none of us have heard of <laughs> Satan's Hollow. That wasn't the next big thing. But they clearly thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I still I don't think that he was completely forthright with what kind of movie this was going to be. I'm still shocked for a kid's game, Pac-Man, that they signed off on just so much boob in this movie. Yes. Again, yeah, I was shocked that, you know, they allowed him to do the the wipes with that. You know, it was so heavily featured uh, in the movie. You know, almost every scene either has the wipe or when they're in the arcade someone is playing pac-man or it's referenced and you know it's vidiot's favorite game idiot so let's talk a little bit about the characters in this okay so um our protagonist uh eugene groby played by leaf green who is totally a fake sean astin right oh yeah Uh, now that you say that definitely you, you know they could be uh, movie brothers and yeah. you, you would believe it he and he's best known i'd say for playing davy in greece 2 the year before this film and he he didn't go on to have the same success as sean astin did he he played in a couple other movies but he went on to be a production manager in huh. Hollywood. so he, so he, so went, he stayed in the he industry stayed went behind the scenes mm-hmm. i guess there was only enough room for one sean astin <laughs> character and once he got goonies it was it was off to that was a wrap there so um so yeah, you've got. Can I take umbrage for a moment with how the nerds are portrayed in this film, and specifically when we first meet Eugene? But that's a classic trope of the time. I mean, just you know, going back to movies in that time, like Revenge of the Nerds, he would have been an extra in that movie in in their entourage, and right. you wouldn't have batted an eye. You know, it's taking it to to ten. Yeah, you know, of, of awkward around women, glasses, yeah. the the. You know, tight pants pulled up high. The, you he know. can't even park a car. When yeah. we first meet him, he's got the rear of the car out in the middle of the street. I mean, yeah. He, he reminded me of the uh, Say by the Bell nerds. Yes. And how terribly they're portrayed in that it's just amplified to the nth degree. And so I immediately struggle a bit because then we find out that it's his first day on the job at this arcade. He's been hired at the, at the video arcade. Which is, this is at the height of video arcade popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, who's hiring a guy like Eugene who can't even park a car? You know, <laughs> I mean, come well, on. Well, and he, he clearly knew from, from you know, once he arrives at work, nothing about the games. Right. 
I mean, he he sprays banaka spray all That's over his scene. face, right? <laughs> I mean, he can't. But there's he has an inexplicable character arc because he ends up being the hero. In a, in in a roundabout way, right. you know, he's the inspiration for the hero to to conquer. Uh, yeah, it, the whole movie, in in many ways, subverted some expectations with that. You know, like you go in, and after that intro, I immediately think that's what the movie's going to be: him as the butt of jokes, and you know, he'll be eventually be the hero, but you know, it'll be him winning a game or, or something along those lines. And then he gets in there and it kind of starts that way. And then suddenly he's friends with everybody, you know, the, the owner and the, you know, Dorfus and, and they're a tight knit close group. And he isn't really, he's the butt of some jokes, but he, you know, he, others get as just as bad as he does. So yeah, I, I was surprised that's the direction. And, you know, and I did appreciate that they took that direction. Yeah, me too. But the film itself, it almost, you almost see a protagonist shift because then it's we start to hear more about the owner Jeff, Jeff, yeah, and his journey and ridiculous backstory, <laughs> and then I loved it. Eugene becomes a bit not a bit player, but then a side, uh, you know, character that helps Jeff on his journey, yeah. and it or it's almost like an ensemble at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So it yeah definitely uh, subverts the expectation of the typical uh, nerd that's going to make good. That's gonna and, yeah and conquer the the cool kids and win the day. They, yeah, they and I you know, again I appreciated that's the direction they took because I thought within the first two minutes I had the movie you know played out in my mm-hmm. head and knew what was gonna happen and then it didn't. So you know you gotta give him credit for that. I love the hubris that Eugene shows on his first day on the job <laughs> when he goes in there. He's walking around like cleaning the machines while people are playing. He's like, "Excuse me, fingerprints," and he's like trying to wipe it. Um, he <laughs> this introduces us to Jonathan Andrew McDorfus mm-hmm. or Dorfus for short, as you say. Now, um, I was not surprised. I this character grew on me. Yes, as the movie goes on, I was physically disgusted by him at throughout. first i still was throughout um and uh, yeah sweaty <laughs> dirty grimy pimply just farting you know, the whole movie the whole movie uh which ends up saving him but yeah you know, uh I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why i liked him so much and then in my research of the film i i read that um belushi from animal house was the inspiration uh, for his character that i i that was the only connection I right. could mentally make. But mm-hmm. is that what he's aiming for? And it was there. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense with his character. Yeah, and he he's love he's he's lovable as we yeah. come to find out. Yes, but we we also find well we'll we'll get into that a little later because uh, his his backstory is very unique as well. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned video, so let's we need to talk about this video arcade gang. All right. That they're half greaser, half David Bowie, um, his King Vidiot, and he's got this harem known as the Vidiots. And they, you know, 
I was like, is this a cross promotion film? Because this this is now taking it into like it looks like the cast of Warriors or Break Into Electric well, Boogaloo just I, showed up. I think they reminded me most of uh, Return of the Living Dead, the punks at the start of that movie. Okay, with just the the leather and the you know, yet still had you know bright colors all over them. You know, multicolored hair, uh, and I, I love the fact that their king, King Vidiot was Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, John Grease. Yes. Um, did not put that together. <laughs> did you pick it up when you were watching it or did you Oh, no, you, immediately. Okay. I was like that's Uncle Rico. Okay. And I and I wondered and and I you know, to my dismay forgot to go back and look was this one of his earlier movies or you know for right. all i know he could have been a child actor you know it seems like he's been around forever yeah i don't think this is his first for sure because he already looked i mean he already had a receding hair well, yeah. hairline <laughs> so that kind of okay you're playing this this character so, you know they look like they're gonna rabble rouse and go in there and cause trouble and then they get in there and he's like arcade they're like super excited just to be playing video games and then they the gals start walking around like Oompa Loompas. Yeah, that, that was, was a weird really scene. Weird. I, I'd be curious to know the motivation behind those choices. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't see one, uh, you know, because they, they never sort of act that way the rest of the film. A little later they do. They do that again a little later, I think towards the end when the, when the, the showdown the is happening. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned earlier about how this film was sub- subverting some expectations. We're about 15 minutes in, and I had no idea what the plot was to this <laughs> movie yet. And, uh, you know, so right now it's looking very much like a PSA against video game arcades, the way it's being portrayed, portrayed. with all these characters. And then you've got, you know, King Vidiot coming in, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, these, you know, video games really do warp your mind. Is this going to be an anti video game movie? And then um, Patsy. Yeah. I mean, I, I just loved Patsy. She I, had this, the Valley Girl well, dialect was so... So bad. It was, it so, was, bad. It was good. so cringy. Right. It was good. It made it... I loved it. You I, didn't I, like it? I, it was like uh, nails on a chalkboard oh. to me because I, I thought like, you know, in, in the term of movie accents... That's got to be one of the easiest ones for anybody to do. Which and it is, was so bad. Which is why I loved it so much. Because it's almost as if she was, it was a, a satire of it. Which was Oh, so maybe. And, and odd that she and at one point one friend are the only two speaking that way. Right. And then the friend just vanishes. And then it's just her. And it's just her. And no one else that they encounter throughout the entire movie you know, speaks that way. And then it was also, and it bothered me for two thirds of the movie. I knew her. Where have I seen her? So familiar. And it was, uh, so the, I think it was Police Academy. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Police Academy was where I finally landed. But then, uh, you know, looking up her IMDb page, I was like, well, she was in Zapped, you know, which is another movie that slots right in the USA up Mm -hmm. all night, you know. Genre. I'd, I'd be curious to see if it's in their list of of nine hundred that had been played because that yeah teen comedy with nudity, you know. Well, if it's there, we'll take it on. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. that one. I actually, you know, uh, because of the superhero side of things, I'd probably watch that more than you know a lot of the other uh, you know movies in that that genre, mm-hmm. that bad B movie comedy. There's a lot of that guy and that gal that mm-hmm. were in that thing. 
Yes, in, yes. In, in here. Throughout this. Yeah, yeah the whole movie. I, I thought I had wrote... Oh, she was also in, and I don't know if you ever saw this. This might be kind of a deep cut. There was a live action TV series, The Flash. Oh, yeah. That she was in that, okay. too. Okay, all right. Um, we had the, the main... Uh, antagonist who was definitely then played by um, Joe John Baker. So mm-hmm. the classic villain in all of the, so many, you know, movies, his IMD resume is probably the most impressive of anyone. Uh, absolutely. In this and film. I, it shocked me how, he, you know, he's uh, someone who doesn't age. He looked, I know he looked exactly, <laughs> exactly the same in 1983. Like, yes. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen his la- his last film. No, but I'm he, not, not I feel like he would have looked exactly the same yeah. then um, as he would in this movie. In yeah. this movie, yeah. So, okay, the plot apparently becomes finally known about 25 minutes in um, when uh, Patsy he plays Patsy's dad uh, and Rudder. He he vows to shut down the arcade, even though you know Patsy, for all intents and purposes, is is a minor character. At this point, oh, absolutely, uh, and, yeah. and and remains that way. We'll talk a little bit more about Patsy. Uh, to jump back to something really quick that I forgot to mention, when they introduced King Vidiot, yes, and and I wondered how how they got away with this one. The song they play, at first I thought it was My Sharona. You, you'll have to go back and and check it out, but it, it definitely I was like, whoa, they they got some song rights, and then it. it curves away but yeah it was absolutely a knockoff of that which, which is another which i enjoyed <laughs> another nice staple of the b movie is yes. how how to recreate uh a, a famous song a popular song into a, a knockoff version yeah and not get in trouble for it right yeah. exactly um okay so Sorry. so no that's okay joseph rudder patsy's dad is is vowing to shut down this arcade and he keeps showing up it's almost it's so he he shows up grabs patsy pulls her out of the arcade and then, you know, she's there the, the next day and then rinse and repeat. He does it yeah, again. Throughout the movie. Right. And I loved, too, that throughout the whole movie, there is zero sense of time. Right. I don't know how much time has passed between any scene, what time of day it is during any scene. It seems like it's daylight almost exclusively throughout the movie and nobody apparently works because they're mm-hmm. all just at the arcade at a moment's notice, you know, pulling their kids out or trying to you know, shut it down or I enjoyed that part too. Yeah. Um, all we know about Patsy is she's a spoiled rich girl who likes to hang out at the arcade and her dad is, is the main villain here. So, um, yeah, we, the, the, the henchman, of course, every good villain has bumbling henchmen in these movies. And we have Arnie and Max as Patsy's Patsy's cousins, cousins. Two nephews that are just hanging out, or I don't know where they live, but they're and, always and, at his side and driving him around. And when they're first introduced, I, I think it was one of the earliest scenes with them. They're by the pool with Patsy, and they are f- flat out oogling her. Oh, you know, and you're like, "That's your cousin!" A, like, what? <laughs> she's in a bikini, all oiled up, and yeah. they're yeah, just creepy vibe <laughs> meter going off off the chart. Um. Okay, so they, the henchmen, Arnie and Max, formulate the plan to uh, ruin the arcade by sneaking in and stealing all of the games. They have to rent a big, you know, U-Haul style truck, right. and they're just gonna load them up and take them away. And Eugene, of course, he overhears the plan and goes back to to Jeff, the owner, and or the 
grandson of the owner, manager of the arcade, and says, this is what they're doing. And I love this. Just we have to talk about his response to this, because instead of alerting the police, you know, allowing them to catch Max and Arnie in the act, pressing charges, maybe eliminating them altogether, them going to jail. The gag here is, no, we're going to make we're going to siphon the gas out of the truck and make them walk to the gas station to get more gas. They let Arnie and Max load all of the games up into the back of the truck. Then they unload them all with a group of with a of, group of arcade people that you know you never see. You know, there's I think one or two of them are in the background of other scenes, but most of them I was like, where did these guys come from? Right. And also, then they Max and Arnie get the surprise of the truck is now empty when they when they show up uh, at Rudder's house. I mean. This is like when you're sitting around plotting a revenge and this would be like the first idea that's thrown out there that's immediately shot down. <laughs> Instead, this is what they decide to go with to do it. It's so funny. Um, it, the reporter, Channel 6's Alexis yes. Wheeler, who did she upset to get stuck on video <laughs> arcade beat? Because she's the only one. She keeps showing up. <laughs> the, the local reporter that, yeah, is, is there uh, to... Ex- expose all the the hubbub around the arcade and and uh, you know of course they end up uh, eventually laying a trap for Rudder uh, and you know preventing his first attempt. Yes. Yeah, so at some point Rudder goes in. There's boobs are out and Rudder en- ends up in the middle of all this uh, all the stuff that's happening and they snap this photo of Rudder in between these two topless girls and you know that's going to come back into play later. And they do a good job of kind of just letting that lie, letting it yeah, be, yeah, for now. So a nice job there of, of <laughs> not, you know, immediately wanting to go back to that and revisit that. We we get to a point where Rudder and oh, okay, so we have to go back here and now start. The, they they lay the seeds of dissent between the Vidiots and Jeff and the arcade folks because after they foil. Uh, Max and Arnie's plan they throw a party at the arcade in, in you know in the middle of the night and they decide the the vidiots would cause too much trouble and aren't welcome to this party even though we never see them <laughs> causing trouble they they're just excited to be playing video games and so of course vidiots pretty upset now so he joins forces with with Rudder, Rudder. as long so, as Rudder promises to get him some wheels and again uh, the payoff for that scene was was fantastic as well these tiny motorcycle i don't even like know mini bikes like mini the bikes. tiniest mini bikes where i don't i'm not even sure how they fit on them they look so tiny and you know they're hauling down the street riding their wheels and video couldn't be happier oh, it was so awesome that was what that was possibly my favorite scene of the movie <laughs> is seeing them getting ready to these, these punks you yeah. know on these teeny tiny bikes right um this is the enemy of my enemy is my friend mm-hmm. kind of trope happening here uh, because of the, the way they decide to, to join forces. And so it ultimately leads up to uh, this, this big town hall meeting um, because after the uh, scene by the Vidiots, uh, they stage a protest outside uh, Max and Arnie and they got some. They recruit somehow some parents, uh, and so the news shows up, and now it's a big deal. So they they take it to a town hall meeting. Now this movie proceeds 
Footloose. Oh, really? And man, this town hall scene <laughs> reminded me so much <laughs> of Footloose and Kevin Bacon's uh, inspirational yeah. leaping and dancing with the Bible. You know, <laughs> it, it was. It, Jeff had a stump speech that reminded me so much of that scene, and I'm like. Did this inspire? <laughs> I, I didn't make that connection, but once now that you said it, hundred percent, it's there. You I, know, the, the mayor's there, and it's, it's you know uh, almost like a litigation where you have the the two tables on either side, mm -hmm. and they're each presenting their case as to why the arcade should or should not be closed. And like you said, Jeff has this amazingly inspirational speech about what the arcade is doing for everybody, and and uh, yeah, we need a side by side of those two. <laughs> And because I'm telling you, there's there's something here. Now, I will say this: I there was not a whole lot of things to um, gush over or appreciate from a cinematography standpoint. Oh, in this, not at all. Except I was really impressed with uh, during that town hall scene, and and Joseph Rudder gets up to describe the just utter decadence and and the decay that that's being caused by the. Um, video arcade and they do this kind of they cut to oh, the this like dreamy dream sequence, sequence. <laughs> and it was a single take of rudder describing just you know you had mud wrestling you had girls in line you know for sexual acts you had women feeding grapes to men just this great foggy vignetting around it and it was a yes. highly choreographed scene i was i was quite impressed with with how that all played out with the number of characters and how much was happening in that scene. Yes. And yeah. then just the way it was in, in post-production adding the, the camera slowly panning. So you saw each debaucherous act. Right. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite as famous as the tracking shot from Goodfellas. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but it was, it was, it was a cool scene. Uh, it took some skill. It did. It did. Um, and probably 10 of the 13 days yeah. shooting were dedicated to that. <laughs> You heard at the open of the podcast that the the deal made where um, Rudder and Jeff finally say it's going to be my player versus your player. Well, I think I think we have to preface that with you know spoiler alert. Uh, what comes the, back into the play. mayor can't shut down the arcade. He doesn't see the reason after Jeff's amazing yes. speech. And the picture then finally comes yeah, back into play. Yeah, and then they, you know, out of nowhere pull out audiovisual equipment and you know, shoot the 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 uh, lascivious photo yes. of, of Rudder up on the screen. So of course then the, the proceedings derail and they say, well, there's no you know legal reason why we can shut this place down. And so that segment ends. And it's left to, you know, the, the, the classic, we have to go mano y mano, pick your favorite game, you know, uh, trope. And we're going to end this once and for all, you know, winner take all. That's right. And, uh, and I, I think they even up the ante on this one. It's not just, just about closing. Uh, and I'm, I'm blanking right now on what the, the final bargain Jeff, Jeff was. Jeff can never open an arcade oh, that's again. Right. <laughs> I mean, how do you legally enforce that? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, this there was a great little moment, too. I don't know if you caught it, where when they showed, uh, when they were getting ready to show the picture of uh, Joseph Rudder with the two topless ladies, and uh, Max and Arnie were sitting at the defense table, I guess, or the, whatever, um, with rudder and they they knew the picture was coming and mm -hmm. so they like start like trying to act distracted like one of them pulls out a deck of cards like he's suddenly playing cards you know and I the other like, pulls out a newspaper like he's reading the newspaper and it's just like 
the, the bumbling henchman can add so much with so little sometimes. And that was a, that was a fantastic uh, setup there, I thought. And I think we, we also totally overlooked the part where uh, one of the henchmen dresses like a woman so they can infiltrate the arcade and try and either drum up some dirt or learn some secrets or find a way to, to help Rudder shut things down. And of course, Vidiot immediately falls in love with him. Vidiot has such some amazing one-liners in this film <laughs> because later when he sees uh, Arnie, uh, no, um, who, which one played the Max? And then he was like, Max, I'm Maxine when he was dressed as a woman, I think, wasn't yeah, he? He I, said whatever, but he said when, when Vidiot sees the guy, he goes, do you have a sister? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that's great. And then later uh, when he's making the deal with, rudder and he says something about you're not half the leader i thought you were and vidiot says i am half the leader you think i am (laughs) there were i remember i i I unfortunately didn't write them down but i do remember a a few others in there too that were those that sort of like hidden like quick just little quip that you know has a little layer to it He, he again it ties in with subverting expectations when i first saw him and his character i'm like where did this come from and how out of place it felt but then and it still does he mm-hmm. still feels out of place the whole movie and he's so over the top but it's you i you grow to love him yeah. at least i did yeah. because of those just those one liners and the, the scene with the bikes and just everything was so great <laughs> he's just so so ridiculous okay so this all leads up to um the big final climactic battle so so they uh, decide it's going to be mano a mano. Each Jeff is going to, to pick his best player and Rudder will do the same. So Rudder uses King Vidiot. And uh, we learn throughout the movie that Dorfus is very good at video games. So Jeff chooses Dorfus. But there was a, a side plot to capture Dorfus and get him out of the equation. So Eugene is... Has, we don't see him the entire movie touch a video game other than to clean them. So we know... Jeff, Jeff doesn't. Well, oh, or Eugene as well. Right. Uh, and then Jeff has sort of peppers throughout the movie that I don't I don't play these games. And that, that's as far as they take it until this moment when Dorfus is no longer available and Eugene says, well, you have to do it, Jeff. And then we get Jeff's tragic backstory. <laughs> Where... He was in love, and you see another um, moment midway through the film where he's staring at a picture of a blonde, unknown blonde lady. Mm, That's right. And you don't know who that is. And so many blondes are in this film, often (laughs) topless, that you're not sure. Maybe it was one of them. Maybe it's (laughs) one of them. You're not sure. Um, And then you find out, no, it's that six months earlier, he was in love with Sandy, uh, this gal named Sandy, who we'd never met, and um, they were in a very, in a very. Uh, it was their first time. Yes, in a very romantic scene in the arcade. In mind the you. W- the bedroom in the arcade. Yes. So the candles everywhere the, on top of arcade machines. Did you get the topless uh, planter in the background? Did you ca- oh, pick up on that? I, I did see two that. boobs with planter. <laughs> now, mind you, Jeff is the manager of this arcade. But it's owned by his grandfather. And then in this arcade is a little back bedroom with plastered with with nude images of women. Strip a strip Pac-Man game yeah, style. Yeah. Um, 
and you're like either grandpa's a super pervert which we find <laughs> out he is uh but at the time we don't know it or jeff in, in just a very short time in taking over running the business while grandpa's out of town we, we He's turned this now into his own little there. bachelor uh, yeah. pad. I don't know. <laughs> so he's back there, and he's with Sandy for the, for the first time. Yes. And then he sees in the reflection of a video game in the back bedroom a, a man, and it's Sandy's father, who runs in, grabs Sandy, roughs her up, says, you know, get I don't out think, of I think it's a wordless scene. Yeah, I think yeah, so. But it looks like he does kind of yeah. rough her up yeah. and drags her away, and, and she's she vanishes so traumatic to jeff that he cannot play now video he, games because it makes him physically ill yes gets dizzy and collapses right. if he if he tries to play because all he can see is the reflection of her father right. so here's eugene's now part where it's it's now turning into rocky yes and i, <laughs> I loved it the, the train yeah it was a you know literally we, we are vidiot is in the arcade waiting to have this matchup and play his game yet We've got plenty of time for a, a training montage and inspirational talk to conquer, you know, Jeff's fears. I love Eugene at one point during the montage holds up one of those handheld Pac-Man games. <laughs> and he says, tiny ones. this is where it all started, Jeff. <laughs> it was like, just that was so, again, what a great little one-liner. And he's like, just grab it and play it. This is where it all started. Okay, so we get to the big battle there. Jeff overcomes his fears and plays the game. Um, I've got some big problems with the ending here of this well, film. The one of the big problems I have is they're they're playing Super Pac Man mm -hmm. on you know giant exaggerated joysticks, but those joysticks have buttons and they are pressing the buttons like Especially crazy. Jeff. Jeff is just going to town, and we all know. There's there's no button now, in Pac-Man. The only thing is maybe in Super Pac-Man there was. Oh, I, I doubt it though. I do too. Yes, I, I doubt it. I, no discernible reason to hit a button in Pac-Man. Yes, and I, I love though that that a lot of it appeared to be you know sort of stock footage of of the game being played. They would show the same sort of yes, track over with Pac-Man, and there were a ton of tracks where the ghost should have gotten him, yes. and Pac-Man just keeps going. <laughs> Right. And, they, and they kept going back to that that one little clip and and yeah that that part I I enjoyed it it cracked me up. The over exaggerated joystick you mentioned. I mean the handle is the size of a bowling ball. Yeah, if if not even bigger. If than not that. bigger. Yeah. Now, wouldn't this negate any previous skills you have of <laughs> of of playing video games? Well, it certainly isn't going to translate from the normal arcade to this giant, you know, stick that I mean, it was up to oh, you know, almost chest height, you know, maybe a little bit under than that, where you then have your hands on this massive bowling and ball, and you're moving it like a foot to the left, yeah, and a foot to the right to <laughs> to, to move around. Um, okay, so ultimately, spoiler alert: the film is made in 1983, so we can spoil it here. Yes, um, Jeff overcomes his fears and wins. Uh, Dorfus shows up, and I this was a touching touching moment in such a cheesy way where Dorfus shows up and wants to jump in because Jeff's down to his last life. Well, and, and King Vidiot is so far ahead at this point that he, or Rudder tells him you've won. There's no way he can catch up. You're free to go now, basically. Which so, made no sense. so he wanders off. Right. <laughs> and then Dorfus shows up and wants to jump back in. And Eugene 
gets in the middle and says, no, Jeff needs to do this to overcome it. Otherwise, for the rest of his life, he'll be scarred by this and never be able to play video games, Never be able to play arcade games again. The one thing he truly loved, other than Sandy. And then the inspirational music hits, and Jeff goes to town on this game and just demolishes while running through ghosts and everything else and and rudder and, and king video get in the argument of why did you leave the game you told me to leave the game so the ending of this film is so weird i i mean so sandy sandy returns oh, well first grandpa returns grandpa returns and with it with a, a you know hot nurse <laughs> hot nurse in a skin tight outfit and you know acts as though like the giant crowd, all this stuff is is a day-to-day occurrence and, and totally no big normal. deal. Totally normal. This is the most uh, awkward and anticlimactic reconnection in film <laughs> yes. history, I think. First of all, Sandy just has resting bee face. Well, yeah, so so Grandpa is, went away, which we're never told throughout the entire movie, with the sole purpose of finding and bringing Sandy back. Without telling Jeff. Without ever mentioning it to Jeff. Yeah. So, surprise, yeah. Jeff. But the first shot of her, 100% what you just said, just, she looks so angry and also has a look of, I don't recognize any of these people. What <laughs> Somehow a- at the same time. <laughs> and what grabbed me from that scene was, and then Jeff runs to her and they kiss and then she you realize, Oh, she is happy to, to be here. Okay. <laughs> but then Patsy who was pining for Jeff throughout the movie, um, uh, is just left heartbroken. Yes. And that's not resolved. Poor, it, it's a hundred percent ignored. It, it, poor Patsy who during the town hall meeting, when her father, Pulls out another great scene where her father, like, you know, Patsy got up to to uh, talk about the, the benefits of the arcade, and her father pulls out the credit card, like on the side, and points to it, you know, like I'm cutting you off, yeah, you. and and she still chooses virtuously to you know to help Jeff and speak well about the arcade, and then Jeff just just leaves does, her in yeah. the dust. Um, yeah, I would have to say throughout the movie, I assumed either they had something going on or we were headed that way. Absolutely. It was definitely in a few scenes somewhat implied. I mean, she, she was always there, always referred to him. I mean, there were definitely other scenes where he was with other topless girls and that seemed to not matter. So it, it, you know, it sent no, somewhat of a confusing message. It is. It, I thought at some point they were going with Jeff is homosexual. Oh. Because of the number of times he had the opportunity to be with girls and always found a reason not to. The arcade needs to be cleaned when he he's in bed with two girls, yeah. practically nude, and he's trying to get up because the arcade which I've, is I've got stuff to do. Which I'm, is I'm busy. Filthy. Right. I mean the arcade is constantly filthy when we see it, and then all of a sudden he needs to clean it, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I thought that might have been the direction they were going. It's not until they introduced Sandy that you realize what was happening. So Okay, that's what this film needed was a uh, Teen Wolf ending, where Je- where Jeff bypasses Sandy and goes to Patsy, just <laughs> like Michael J. Fox goes past the blonde and goes to Boof. In the well, end. I think that w- would have been equally nonsensical because then you would have said, "Well, why introduce her in the first place?" Yeah. Like, I, there would have needed to be some scenes earlier that. Right, where she was more referenced 
you know, as opposed to just kind of in the last 15 minutes, she's introduced in right. this flashback. They could have had Sandy break his heart and have disappeared. Maybe because he likes video games too much or something, yeah, yeah. something weird like that. <laughs> That's um, why he can't play. Cause it's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Patsy is just totally crapped on mm-hmm. in, in the last two minutes of this film to, to, such a disrespectful point one they leave her heartbroken just in the middle of the arcade alone and then um with the help of jeff and dorfus eugene who they discuss his virginity throughout the film and 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 that well i think that's his essentially his introduction the the two sorority girls pull up beside Mm -hmm. him and basically are are, they proposition him but it's as we find out to get a, a photo of a nerd you know in a compromising position, which again, for a, um, a a nerd and a virgin, he seems surprisingly confident. He jumps in the car, <laughs> he stands up, pulls down his pants. He's named his guy Simba. Yes. Um. So that's a weird element. But so with the help of Jeff and Dorfus, Eugene finally loses his virginity to Patsy's mom. Yes. Uh, yeah. Who we have not touched on her no. at all, and her side plot with Dorfus, and her introduction. I don't. I don't know if we are supposed to think she's on pills all the time. Because that first scene, yes. it's it is legitimately nighttime in that first scene, but she's you know slathered in she's cream or something. It's oil of very oily and greasy. And she is unconscious in the bed and, and Eugene and Dorfus sneak into the house and it's never explained why they were there. Uh, right. He says, we're going to fix this. Yeah. Dorfus says, and they go to the house, but then we never know why. And then they have to, of, of course, Rudder comes back, right. You know, and, and, and Eugene is trapped on the bed or is it Eugene or Dorfus? It's Eugene. Eugene Dorfus is, goes into the closet. That's right. And breaks wind. Of course. And, uh, and so Eugene gets trapped in the bed by the mom who's, you know, semi-conscious. She's and she thinks it's Eugene. Rudder right. it's is been frisky. So long. Yes. They obviously have a sexless marriage. Yes. So Rudder comes home, doesn't somehow see Eugene in the bed. Doesn't, uh, you know, he, see Dorfus in the closet, even though he's barely hiding in the closet. He runs Rudder Enterprises, which yeah. we don't know what it does, <laughs> but it's the fact that if you have a company with your name and enterprises behind it, you're pretty successful. Yes. Let's, it, it, if you're he's in an well 80s off. movie, he's yes. well off. So the fact that he then can be that successful and then get into a bed <laughs> while his wife is essentially attacking, dry humping, and dry humping another <laughs> male, and he doesn't realize it. Uh, until, well, he he never realizes no. it, but then Dorfus breaks wind, and he blames his wife because because of the and, medication. Well, yeah, it's it's presented as though this is a regular occurrence. Right. You were breaking wind all the time. Right. I told you to see Doctor So and So about this. Um, so Patsy, who arguably has the biggest character arc here, when she chooses to stand up for Jeff in the arcade instead of her father's money gets heartbroken by Jeff and their mom has an affair with her friend. Yeah. This is a Jason Voorhees backstory. <laughs> like the next movie would be Patsy getting her revenge on all of these a-holes. Yeah. That, that might be a pretty good 80s B it's movie. Time right for a, it's time for a sequel. <laughs> Joysticks to Patsy's, Patsy's revenge. revenge. Uh, I bet Grayson Clark. Well, and it turns out that Patsy's mom is totally into S and M. 
Right. She's so got a whip when Eugene gets shoved into this motel room to lose his virginity, and we see her totally decked in leather with a whip. Why didn't they put Eugene and Patsy together? I, I thought for a second when she had that dejected look, that Eugene could have came up. That was her. going to happen. That was going to be his win. Uh, and then, as you, as we said, it just gets they gets went ignored. The, they went for the shtick. Yes. In fact, it literally the film ends on a freeze frame of a proud Jeff and Dorfus walking away from the seedy motel that they just <laughs> arranged this hookup with, like. <laughs> You know, joyful music playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was a gag yeah. that they went for when they we sh- helped destroy a marriage. High five! Yeah, and Patsy <laughs> in the in the process. Uh, so that was so. That ending just left me so unfulfilled. Almost yes. all because of poor Patsy and, mm-hmm. and what happened to her and and her and her totally oh, awesome so Valley Girl. Oh well, I I think it it uh, speaks to her acting career continuing that with as little as she at, at huge chunks of the movie she's not around right uh that she made you know an impression yeah her her valley girl was so uh, pronounced that i thought at first she was like uh had an accent to start with Oh. Like, like, was she Canadian or French? <laughs> and then, like, trying, was to... trying to put the Valley Girl on top of it because it was like you almost have to really hyper focus when she starts on what is she saying because it's what is so she over going the top. for it's here? So great. Okay, like, where are we supposed to go? Sure, there's the Galleria, and there's like going to the movies and everything, or going to Seven Eleven after school for stuff. But like, that's totally it. Jeff Bailey's video arcade is the only place to go for good, clean Okay, so, Rob, let's talk about, you know, we watched these films in a very influential time in our lives, as most teenage boys uh, did around Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. time. That was the, um, you know, the market that they were going for, and that's who these films were, were made for. So, so many wildly inappropriate lessons yes. to be learned from uh, these types of films. So, let's let's talk about some inappropriate lessons we might have learned from this film specifically. There are a number, and we've we've touched on a, a few of them. Just the the you know odd treatment of of Patsy and and her you know her being apparently one of the, or appears to be one of their closest friends and biggest supporters, certainly throughout the movie and to, you know, end up in these situations with her mom to have, you know, this issue with her dad, uh, which, I mean, that's sort of a, a classic, you know, thing. Right. Um, and she does, you know, defend them, but yeah, then you get the idea that she and Jeff are going to be together and just, she's just at every turn, she and her whole, like she, her family is being mistreated and it's just falling into her lap and never addressed, never, you know, any, any component to her side of that. Yeah, the, the film is terribly misogynistic in the oh, fact that they all were at, uh, at that yeah, time. Absolutely. I mean, in, in this film, I mean, the women are property. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when the grandpa comes back with the nurse, uh, and, <laughs> that's right. And Eugene sees the nurse, uh, the nurse, and is like, "Whoa!" Hubba, and, hubba. and grandpa tells Dorfus, "This here nurse belongs to me," and then runs his creepily runs his 
his hand up her skirt. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. Um, you know, it's apparently it's okay to sleep with your mom's friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. As, as we see. And not worry about what your friend thinks of that. Um, you know, women just want to have sex. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And have just hate bras. Right. Um, the, that scene that you mentioned earlier with when they sneak into Rudder's house and, uh, Patsy's mom, Vivian, is her name. Vivian oh, that's right. Rudder. That's right. Yes. Um, and she's out like a light because she took sleeping pills. Uh, you know, Dorfus throws Eugene on top of her. In fact, he's encouraging her. This is your chance. Yes. This is your chance. Here's this <laughs> half unconscious woman, mother of our friend Patsy. Go for it. Uh, you could finally have sex. You know, nobody, the writer, the director, the actors, thought that that was a little bit too far. Well, I. That, you know, memory serves that, that that happened a lot in this. That was like a running gag in movies of, of this right. ilk back in the it, day that somebody's passed out. Now's your chance to take uh, advantage of them. And that was the first scene that I, I really cringed at where I said, oh, man, that's. It was awkward to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other scenes I, I you know, are done in jest. And I just think there's there's no no jest in that. Like, I don't that joke just doesn't work anymore period in a lot of 80s movies you'd have the you know a hot mom Mm -hmm. that the you know friend was attracted to and that'd be maybe a little side gag there but not one vivian wasn't really portrayed like you said she was covered in oil of olay she wasn't portrayed that's not how this was set up this was set up as she's got a pill problem she's uh, unconscious here and we're going to take advantage of that and and at that point she's just introduced so she's essentially a non-character right and her, the introduction is let's get all rapey with her <laughs> so bad what i learned uh inappropriate lesson i learned is that um stay away from arcades because there's a lot of switchblades yeah uh, to make an appearance in the first half hour of the film but there is one of the best switchblade shots in film history i might argue when the the guy that looks like Rambo, he's dressed all in camouflage and, yeah. and bandana, and he um, he's protective of one game to the point where he's pulling switchblades <laughs> right. out on anyone who tries to play it. Totally normal, right? Um, <laughs> when he tells, uh, it, uh, this is when Arnie and Max are, are trying to the cousins that are, are dressed yeah. up in drag to uh, to scope the place out. Um, when he tells Arnie he's next, he runs the switchblade across this bobblehead chihuahua yeah. that he's got sitting on top of the game, and the chihuahua's head like starts nodding in agreement. <laughs> nodding, yes. And they and they stay on it for it, a few for seconds. for a couple beats. Yeah, it's great. That, I did love appreciate that. that. Although uh, you know there is sort of a yeah you know to be another Debbie Downer a, a racial stereotype yeah, thrown into that scene as well for for that time period. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and then I think uh, the last lesson I learned here is, you know, before the internet, it takes it took months to find someone because no. you know when Grandpa was gone, <laughs> a good the point. entire movie, and then when he gets back and he's like, you know, uh, I've been looking for a friend of yours and I found her, and I think you know he referenced Je- at some point said he, you know, Grandpa's been gone for six months or six months is when she left. Yeah, six and months ago is when she left. So, we're not. I don't think it's ever stated, and I also couldn't figure out how old they were supposed to be. Right. Were they still in high school? Had they okay, so left high school and were in between college? Or th- so the the 
let's talk a little bit about Dorfus's backstory because I think that's going to set up because he, he, Jeff and Dorfus were best friends in high school. You're right. And he, he when he, when Jeff is explaining to Eugene about Dorfus mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, Dorfus tries to throw, or Eugene tries to throw Dorfus out again, the hubris that he shows on the first day on the <laughs> yes. job, he wants to throw Dorfus out because of his slovenly appearance, appearance. And, <laughs> and, um, the mess he's making in the arcade right. with, with the popcorn everywhere. Yes. And um, Jeff explains that Dorfus was class president. Yes, that's and, right. When they graduated a year ago. Oh, so there okay. you go. I missed They're that 19. Line. So that might explain why so many are just hanging out in the arcade because they don't have jobs. They're 19. Yeah, yeah. They, they're not going to college. They're just hanging out in arcades. Again, fun. kind of an anti arcade yeah. for a, for <laughs> a movie that celebrates um, arcades. Um, his, his secret agenda. Right. Um, okay. So, oh, and I love, um, uh, I love when the mayor, he eventually shows up at the arcade to see what it's all about. Yes. And Eugene introduces him to missile command. I think it was. I, I think that's what it was. And he's like, how, how do you do this? And, what is this? And it's pretty darn accurate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because I remember years back, when my in-laws, um, I, I, we introduced them to the Wii for the first time, mm-hmm. the Nintendo Wii, and they acted exactly like that. They were like giddy almost, but they were so <laughs> confused by it at first. And then once they got into it, man, they got it. I thought they were going to throw the controller across the room. <laughs> into the TV. And the mayor gets so into it and he starts running around asking people for tokens and stuff. So that was a pretty yeah, accurate yeah. portrayal. Um, okay, so let me ask you, Rob... What modern movie would you recommend if we had to to reboot the USA Up All Night series and we were going to slot some modern movies into it? What movie would you choose? I, there, there aren't many that come to mind for me that are sort of video game centric. You know, I can think of a few horror movies, but the, you know that really wasn't Up All Night's thing. Occasionally, uh, but, occasionally. but not in the line. Yeah. So the only one that really jumped to me, uh, because it does a, a fairly good job of, of modernizing everything, is that Ready Player One. Oh, Although yeah. I have a, a bunch of issues with that movie, um, in and of itself, for you know a different conversation. But I think that would probably be the more comparable. I'm gonna go with Pixels, Adam Sandler oh. and Kevin James. I mean, really I silly comedy, one. and again, celebrating Pac-Man. And so many video games. You got Aliens. I mean, it was super cheesy. And I think that would be a, a perfect modern fit if USA Up All Night was... Yeah, I think that that is a better fit. You know, it's it's more of that, the, the goofy aspect. Um, yeah, as I was saying, I, I, the two that came to my mind were really bad horror movies initially. And so bad that I don't even remember the names of them, but... You know, I was trying to get on the same page of, of some humor element because they certainly don't make the kind of, at least that I'm aware of the, uh, and I'm sure this is 100% wrong, the, that sort of style, the teen comedy nudity film. Yeah, it's done a lot different, that's for sure. Uh, Although I'm, I'm learning on the, the Tubi, there is now, <laughs> after watching this uh, on Tubi, the recommendations for ah. movies, a ton of them are recent. They all look 
I would even hesitate to call them B movies, you know, based on the little still that that pops up. Mm-hmm. So but it looks like they're still they could still uh, have that you know venue of, of a being made, but uh, I certainly don't think they would would match. Real these quick, movies. some of the just awesome '80s pop culture kind of imagery that we saw in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that caught your mind. Obviously, all the different arcade games that we saw in the film. Uh, we mentioned the Banaka breast yes, yeah. scene. That was obviously an 80s staple. That was really, really good. I mean... The Izod-style shirts yeah, that mesh, everyone had. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the guys with the boom boxes. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we all had those. Well, and that was sort of a, a another sort of side element. The very few black people that were in it were also dressed staring. sort of like breakdancers. Break yeah. Breaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any other uh, <laughs> any other imagery that caught your attention? You know, the one of the things that really stood out um, is was the music. You know, not to, yeah. to veer in a different direction, but I was surprised at how decent it was, and and that they clearly took some time to <laughs> make these innuendo heavy tracks that were all about video games. Yeah, and a couple of them, you know, you kind of got into. Yeah, for, for that, cheesy rock. That that like you mentioned that opening track. Right? Yeah, and I think it's literally like video games are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, you know it reminded me of like the custom made songs for like the Lego Movie. You know, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. very much the way they were produced specific to to that. Yeah, to I, the narrative. Um, okay, so we've talked about the film, Rob. The good, the bad, the ugly. Is this film worth staying up all night for? I'm gonna go with yes on this one. It certainly is an ugly watch you know as you said the the sort of technical side of things there wasn't much to be impressed by and and uh, whatever they transferred it from to tubi it's it's not the best although i did notice uh it's also available on amazon prime but yep. the aspect ratio is totally off on amazon prime it, it does essentially a square yeah the, it, and uh, the, one of the sides of the screens almost cut off cut while off. i watched it on prime yeah. it was like that yeah so i i went with the tubi version but you know, I, I laughed a number of times, you know, at, at the the cheese of it. And, and they did legitimately have some funny jokes, you know, peppered throughout. A couple of the characters were likable. Uh, even even Vidiot, who's supposed to be sort of the bad guy troublemaker, is, is kind of endearing and just wants, you know, his own arcade machine at I mean, the end of the day. Vidiot did less damage than the, everybody else did to Patsy. Yeah. So, I mean, arguably, <laughs> Vidiot is the... The you know, and guy here. at first I thought, you know, like Jeff was going to be the sort yes. of classic douche-like Certainly villain of, that way of those movies. Scenes. Yeah. And and I didn't know what to expect from Dorfus, but then, you know, they, as we already stated, subverted our expectations and they quickly become friends and care about each other and just want to see each other succeed. And, and then Dorfus doesn't stop farting the entire time. I love the impassioned speech he's trying to give at the front of the of uh, Joseph Rudder's door to try to, to help Eugene get out of the house in time. It's great. And he's, yeah, I'm going to say yes as well for a lot of those same reasons. I mean, just there's some really funny one-liners that mm-hmm. just get you, and it's it it really does encapsulate. I mean, video game arcades were such a huge thing in the '80s, especially the early '80s. Uh, before Nintendo came out in the you know mid '80s and people started spending more time on their home systems, yes, and yeah, it was it, it was just really to have a movie that's almost centered 
all around this arcade. I mean, probably 80% of the scenes were, you know, that same one arcade shot, really. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely, yeah, it, as, as will be the response for most movies, aesthetically, mm-hmm. they might not hold up, never be the greatest, but there's so much other fun stuff. in. And, and I think too, this one, if you're unfamiliar with USA up all night and like, it's a, it's a perfect sort of primer for like, this is what you're in for. This is very much the style of the, at least the, the comedy that they showed. Yeah, you know, late night. So you're you're attracting. You know, your demographic is is young men at that at that point. And I think they really, you know, it, it doesn't doesn't hurt them when Rhonda took over being an attractive woman. And yeah, and then you have the sort of hey, who's that on my screen? And what what goofy thing is she doing with all her skits? And then it dovetails right into some you know ridiculous comedy where within two minutes, three minutes, you're gonna have nudity. So. And a lot of it. Yes. And a lot of it. All right. That's going to do it for the inaugural episode of Still Up All Night. You can find us on Twitter at Still Up Podcast. And we're on Facebook as well. If there's a movie that you'd like to see us do, hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook. Leave us a message. DM us. And we'll try to get to it. What's up next on the slate for next month's episode, Rob? Ooh, uh, is it My Mother's a Werewolf? My Mom's a Werewolf. That's right. That will be next month's episode we'll get into it we'll get our hands dirty and we'll have you seen that one i i don't remember it but i remember say... having seen it but i i can't remember a thing about it yeah if i did it would have been in the very early 90s watching okay. usa up all night yeah. so uh it might come back to me as i'm watching it but i'm excited to check it out you know we're gonna get way deep into uh behind the scenes stuff we'll discuss the impact of Rhonda. we'll discuss the impact of gilbert uh some of the production stuff of, of the skits that they did so stay with us so much more to come on still up all night thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time see you next time <laughs>